Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast, a show committed to discussing bold and innovative ideas in education. I'm Dave Walker, a proud elementary school principal, adjunct professor of history, and avid cyclist. And I'm so grateful that you are tuning in to today's episode. All right, today's guest is Lucas Solberger. As an avid historian and social media user, I came upon his Instagram and just knew I had to have him as a guest on the show. He can be found sporting some of the best historical attire I have ever seen. He shares not only his amazing outfits, but also great insights. And I'm hopeful that we will walk away from today's podcast with many more insights as well. All right, Lucas was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and attended college at Concordia University in Seward, Nebraska, graduating in 2021 with a degree in K-12 education with a specialty in art. That same year, he received and accepted an offer to teach at Trinity Lutheran Classical School in Cheyenne, Wyoming. He is in his second year of teaching and currently teaches general education to third and fourth grade, while also teaching art and literature to students in grades three to 12. In total, Lucas works with about 30 to 40 of those students throughout any given day. Welcome to the Teach, Lead, Innovate podcast. Lucas, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. It is my absolute pleasure. Before we get into any of your education experience thus far, I have to ask, mm -hmm. can you tell me about the historical outfits? What's the why behind it? I love it. Sure. Yeah. I've, uh, I've always been a history nerd since elementary school. Um, history has always been my favorite class, uh, literature, uh, a close second along with that. And, uh, but throughout high school, I never really got into the, the clothing aspect of it, mostly just reading things and studying things. And it wasn't until uh, college that I really started to realize that, you know, I can kind of live a bit of history, so to speak, by dressing the part. And so I started really doubling down on research on um, what type of clothes people wore, uh, how it affected their day to day lives. And I got so interested in that, and I had to try it for myself. So I um, found companies that made clothes that were accurate to the period. I learned how to make clothing myself and I enjoyed it so much that now this is how I dress almost every day when I can. Wow. So that's amazing. How do your students react mm -hmm. to the historical attire? Has it impacted their like desire to engage in class? I think so. I think it, uh, it, it definitely, if it has any impact, it's absolutely positive. Um, I was surprised in my first year of teaching when I started teaching at, at Trinity here, not many people commented on it, on what I was wearing. And I was a little surprised at that because <laughs> everywhere else I had been, I can't walk into a grocery store without someone commenting on what I'm wearing. I'm sure. Um, yeah, but. I think as over the, the two years that I've been here and the kids have warmed up to me that I, I get nothing but compliments from them that's, and other people in general. So, yeah, that's amazing. Now we're going to back up for a second. Can you tell us sure. about your journey into education and what inspired you mm -hmm. to become a teacher? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I really knew that I wanted to become a teacher truly until it had gotten to the point where I needed to decide what I wanted to do for college because I knew I wanted to go to college for something. Um, but then I, I thought back to my time in, in high school, particularly, um, 
And I thought back to my high school art teacher who out of all the teachers I had in high school, he had the greatest impact on me. I, I would say, uh, he made art, uh, such a, a fun thing to, to learn and to practice and to do, uh, he taught us art history, theory, everything like that, but he made it fun and enjoyable every day. And that was the best class that I had throughout high school. And I remember thinking when I was deciding what I wanted to do for college, I remember thinking, I want to do what he did. I want to be able to, to inspire kids to dive into something that maybe they're not used to. I want to inspire them to, to work towards, um, something that they hadn't thought of doing before. And to show them that there are, there are so many things in the world that you could work towards. That's, that's and art that's, was one of those for me. So it's mm -hmm. a, it's an amazing story. And I always, I always say like, you can't, you can't underestimate the power of that one teacher, right? Like I think everyone has had that one mm -hmm. teacher, hopefully not everyone has, but I'm, you know, Absolutely. That's why we've got to, we've got to be that teacher for them, but mm -hmm. to just be able to change the trajectory right. of a child's life, just amazing. So, mm -hmm. you know, you're in your second year of teaching. So you're relatively new to the profession, mm -hmm. you're an early career teacher. What have been some yep. of the most unexpected challenges? What's an unexpected challenge you faced so far? Hmm. Well, I don't know. I think uh, probably realizing how much a child's home life impacts mm -hmm. their performance in school. I think that was because, I mean, even doing my uh, my field experience and, and my my uh, work as a student teacher before I graduated college, I didn't really realize that until I had my own classroom and had control over everything that I realized that uh, a student's situation at home is wow. almost guaranteed to impact how they perform in school um, and their personality and everything and how well they respond to teaching and things like that. And so I, I, that really hit me harder than I thought it would. And I had to adjust quickly uh, to a vast variety of different students with different backgrounds and needs and things like that. So, And you're right. And I think, you know, in the preparation to become a teacher, there's always, you know, you have kind of to differentiate all those buzzwords, but I think it, it is, it's, it's so different once you're actually in, in the arena as, as uh, you know, the quote is the arena and mm. like you see, what are kids, the backgrounds that they're coming from and, and that you have to ad adjust, adapt. And, um, I'm super excited to hear that, that you are, you, you learn that and you are, you are adapting mm -hmm. outstanding. Um, so yeah. I can't help but think like teaching a wide range of grade levels from three to 12 has got to be a challenge. Yes. Like how, how do you do it? Mm -hmm. Do you have to adopt your teaching <laughs> style? Like, how do you do that? It is overwhelming and they're, there has been many, many a day where I've wished for a simpler situation, but in the end, I truly am happy where, where I I've been put. Um, but to your question, uh, the school that I'm currently at has in, um, from preschool all the way up to right now, the highest grade we have is 10th grade. So we don't have mm -hmm. an 11th or 12th at, at this year. Um, we have about 80 students. Um, and so each classroom has on average 10 to 15 students. Um, my 
homeroom classroom that I work most frequently frequently with every day is third and fourth grade. Uh, so I've got six students in fourth grade and nine in <clears throat> third grade, so 15 in all. And then working with other students, other classes in literature and art, those are the two rotation courses that I teach. Um, fifth and sixth grade is combined into one class, and that's about uh, 12 students in there. And then eighth grade, or excuse me, seventh grade, all the way up through 10th grade is only about 10 students in those, those grades. Um, so while it seems like a lot, and I'm teaching this wide range of grades, the students, there aren't that many. Um, and so it is easier than it, than you might think at first. All the same, um, I have to make sure that I have different curriculums planned out mm -hmm. for each grade level. And regardless be... of how many students there are, that's, that's, that's still a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, yeah, you, you, it seems uh, like the numbers are, you know, are okay. They're workable with it, workable, but you mm -hmm. are, you are still nonetheless teaching a variety of ages and the planning that goes into that, I, mm -hmm. I can only imagine. So kudos to you. Yeah. Kudos to you, Lucas. So, you. you know, I, I love technology. I'm all about it. Um, so my question is this, like in today's digital age, technology plays a significant role. Do you, do you think technology mm -hmm. has a role in the classroom? And if so, how, how do you think it could be used? Sure. Um, well, just despite the, uh, antiquated appearance and some, uh, <laughs> some antiquated <laughs> bits of my lifestyle, I, I do appreciate technology uh, in moderation. And I think it can absolutely be a huge benefit to teachers and students in class. Um, for my third and fourth grade classroom, I, I currently don't have a projector that works, but I would um, like to get one eventually. And I, um, it would be very easy to get one. I just need to, to get around to doing it. But if I could have one, then it would make things so much easier. And I could just send things up on the screen rather than having to write out everything on the chalkboard. Um, but for integration with a, a classroom in general, technology can be a great benefit. It can make things easier for the teacher. It can make things easier for the students, um, especially in larger schools. Uh, some students say, you know, they have the, the iPads or the computers that they give to the older students. And so they can, um, if they're in a, a classroom and they need to, uh, look up something on their own. They can do that privately real quick. Um, instead of asking the teacher, uh, assuming that the teacher is busy with something else, I would say normally that it's probably best to ask the teacher rather than look something up on your own, but the option is there mm -hmm. uh, among yes. many other things. So. And I think what's interesting too is like I'm in New Jersey, you're in Wyoming, and mm -hmm. you know you have mm -hmm. just diff regional differences. And just to be able to, to have this discussion to see how where technology is at in Wyoming, in some areas, in, in in New Jersey, it's just just a fascinating thing to do. Mm -hmm. I think it plays a, a a very important role. And and I think you you hit on something key there, like in moderation. You can't. Mm -hmm. I think the, yeah. the, some, sometimes we we're, we're maybe too fast to here you go, all the technology, technology, but I think it is important, mm -hmm. especially as the teacher to be able to curate 
how it's supposed to be used as a tool for learning. So to be sure, teaching at times can be emotionally taxing. How have you coped Mm -hmm. with the emotional ups and downs with the profession? How have you coped with that? Well, besides dressing in amazing historical attire. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I should, uh, I should say, you know, being in a, in a Lutheran, a Christian school and just the Christian background helps with that. And we're connected right to the church. The school is pretty much the same building. Um, So being in that Christian environment and being uh, with, with, teachers and and students themselves who are kind of a, of a same background and mindset and belief uh, makes things easier. And so I can, and I think that's good for anyone. I mean, no matter what the background is, no matter what type of school you're at, if you're in an environment where um, you feel a connection with the staff and with the students, um, there's that level of stress that's not there because you don't have to worry about Oh, am I going to upset someone if I say something? Am I going to, you know, exclude someone if I don't say something? You know, so um, having that kind of community bond, I suppose, with with everyone in the school helps a lot with um, dealing with stressful things. When it comes to uh, after school, personally, if I need to get my mind off stuff, I go for a walk. Uh, we've got plenty of parks around here in Cheyenne. I go for a bike ride. Uh, you're probably going to ask me about. Oh, I'm going to ask you about it in a little have. bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yep. But that's uh, amazing. Yeah. Just, I suppose, just keeping keeping a schedule helps too of of keeping the stress away. So, blocking out time to do school stuff, home stuff, personal stuff, um, so that I'm not you're not Balance. tempted to do this when you should be doing this and you can save time to do things that help you relax. So you have time later on to do things that you need to do. So scheduling helps me a lot. Lucas, you, you hit on something that I think is crucial. And, and obviously I can tell just in the conversation that your school has, this is, is the importance mm-hmm. of like culture, that climate, school climate, mm-hmm. the positive school climate. And, and the power of relationships, mm-hmm. right? To be able to, to you can go to your your fellow teachers for advice and, and assistance. I think that's big, uh, and I'm you know I'm glad to hear mm-hmm. that that's definitely um, something you're experiencing at your school. And uh, you know, I asked you about emotional and it's emotionally taxing, but but my question now is, mm-hmm. what do you love most about teaching? What do you love most about the profession? Hmm. Well, thing I love most, I suppose, um, perhaps this is an answer that a lot of teachers have is just the relationships with, with the students. Um, but stemming from that relationship, I mean, you can teach them so much more. Um, because I mean, you, you can get an education, uh, you can give a proper education to a, a body of students, even without any sort of relationship or emotional connection, you can do it, but it's so much easier and so much more effective if you can have some sort of connection with the students um, and with the staff too, like who you're working with. Um, so just kind of finding a balance between uh, interacting with the students for fun and in a, in a 
a good way and then keeping discipline and management of the classroom as well. Of course. Um, but that good relationship helps everything. And I, it's definitely one of the things I enjoy most about being a teacher. Relationships, relationships, relationships. It all comes down to that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, yeah. what advice would you offer aspiring teachers or new teachers that are just starting their teaching careers? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, in general, give it time. I think, you know, um, jumping into the deep end is what you're doing when you start your first year of teaching. Mm -hmm. You don't have anyone to hold your hand. And so there's, I mean, there's statistics out there that I, that I've heard that say that, uh, particularly in the public school sector, about 30% of first year teachers quit after that first year. Um, and then I know there are different situations for everyone. Some schools really are tough to be in, mm -hmm. particularly as a new teacher. I'm blessed to be in a, in a wonderful school where things are easy for the most part. Um, but that. It's not to say it's not without its challenges. So give it time, uh, fight through that first year, uh, go into the second year. Uh, one of my teachers, one of my professors, when I was in college said that it's not after, it's not until after your third year that you really start to get into a groove of teaching and you start to really be confident in what you're doing. And I, so far being in, uh, halfway through my second year, I, I, probably have to agree with them. I'm, I'm still uh, kind of figuring out what works for me and stuff. So, so pushing through the hard stuff, finding some way to deal with it um, and sort things out, reflection. That's probably the best thing to do as a first year teacher. I'm really glad you, you shared that, Lucas, because I think that that is mm -hmm. so many times a new teacher can feel like I mean, I know I felt imposter syndrome to the max. Like, do I believe, should I yeah. even be here? You know, am, am I right mm -hmm. for this? And I think it's about being patient with yourself and showing grace to yourself because it is difficult. It's hard. And, I, and, mm -hmm. I, and I'll say that I think, yes, it, it does become progressively easier, but I think it's also because mm -hmm. you've been doing it so long, you have more tool, you know, more in your tool bag there that you can use. Um, right. And I, and mm -hmm. I think that, I think that that's, that's a great message that you shared. And again, I think patience is with yourself is key. Uh, so, and I told mm -hmm. you, I was going to ask you this. I've got to ask this of you as an avid cyclist. I noticed on your Instagram, mm -hmm. you're a fan of the high wheel bicycles from the late 1800s. Can you tell me about that? Do you ride often? Oh, yes. what, what's your experience been? Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I have always wanted one of those bikes. And I had people telling me in college when I started dressing this way, dude, you got to get one of those big high wheel bicycles. And, and we, most people, I think, know them um, as, as penny farthings. Yep. Um, and back when they were popular in the 1800s, um, they were called penny farthings primarily over in England. And that's where they, they were started. Um, actually, that type of bicycle was invented by a German. Um, but then an Englishman stole the design and took the credit for it. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, they were called penny farthings over in England. And when they came over into America, most people started referring to them as ordinaries because it became the most popular bicycle at the time, uh, until, until the development of the safety bicycle, which is our modern bike that we have now. 
Uh, I got mine. It's it's not an antique. It's a reproduction. Uh, there's a man in Alameda, California, who still makes them. Um, wow. And he's had his company since about the 70s. And I, I found his website and I, I gave him a call and, and asked him to make me one. And he got to work on it. And then in a couple months, he shipped it out here to Wyoming. And I've been riding it for about a year now. Wow. And what a great business niche right there. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's yes. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lucas, I want to thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Honestly, it's been a real pleasure to sure. chat with you. Um, for our listeners, don't mm -hmm. delay. Log on to Instagram, follow Lucas. His handle is antiquated underscore American. And he also has an account where he documents his teaching. I am, I am dot Mr. Solberger. You got to follow it. You will certainly not be disappointed. All right, everyone, until we meet again, stay inspired, stay positive, and have the best day ever.